This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, millions of turkeys are lining up right now to be slaughtered is what some hardcore vegan activists are probably saying with Thanksgiving coming up next week. So we're talking about the Denverites with a big new idea to consume less meat and be less obnoxious. Then, are delivery apps killing our beloved local restaurants? It's Thursday, so we're talking about what Denverites are eating. Plus, our picks for your weekend. Today is Thursday, November 16th. I'm Paul Caroli, in for Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Good morning, everyone. I'm here with producer Olivia Jewel Love. Welcome, Olivia. Good morning, Paul. How's it going? Oh, it's going great, Olivia. Uh, and because it's Thursday, I'm also joined by our newsletter editor and resident foodie, Peyton Garcia. Hey, Peyton. Good morning, guys. Well, you two, we've got a whole mess of food news to dig into. Um, let's do it. Let's get right to it. Story number one. With Thanksgiving coming up next week, I don't think I'm the only one thinking about how I'm going to navigate that turkey dinner. Uh, one new group of people have a big new idea that might help. And according to Axios, 600 of them gathered for their annual convention in Denver last week. The fifth annual Reducitarian Convention. Reducitarians, Olivia. Can you explain what that is? Who are these people? Yeah. What a name, right? It's it's something. It it's is something. something. Um, basically, their message is you don't have to go full vegetarian or vegan to make a difference in factory farming, climate change, the things that these big industries are known for contributing to, which I think is great. It, it is great. And it is like, it's something that is personal to me as someone who identified as a vegetarian for a long time. Like they're really getting at a core tension with the movement around motive. Yes. Like it's so easy to disagree with people about their motives, but when you talk about goals, it's a lot easier to find common cause. And so I kind of love this new idea. That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I guess I, guess I am a reducitarian. Uh, and I just, I just didn't know it. Oh yeah. Um, it's something I've been trying to work on over the last few years. So I've always been like a devout carnivore. Like if there is not a meat mm -hmm. in my meal, like all hell breaks loose. Um, but really what changed my mind is when I started digging into the impacts that meat consumption has on the environment. That's really what got me to start rethinking my relationship with me. But I am not willing to to cut meat out. Not even a little bit. Not even. I will not give that. And like, I don't know. The thing that I thought was so interesting about this is I, I feel like as somebody who eats meat a lot, there was like all this pressure from other vegetarians and vegans, like, and they're judgy. They're judging me for eating yeah. meat. And like, it's the worst part of it. It's the by yeah. far the worst part of it. That's exactly what one of the co-founders of this movement said. Basically, he had this moment, like what you were saying, Paul, Thanksgiving. He was at Thanksgiving one year and 
he 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 quotes succumbed to a slice of turkey. Which <laughs> <laughs> love that wording. Love that wording. But he he got to this root problem that I think a lot of people struggle with with these these like diets is that he realized it wasn't about being perfect or pure. It was about just trying to be a better person and do the best that you reasonably can, which that's fantastic. We should adopt that for like everything, you know, try your best, try your best, meet yourself where you're at. You know, it is a lot more realistic. Like, and it's just like a more human approach to it. And, and like I said, like the judginess of vegetarians and veganism, like, as as someone who identified like that for a long time, like it's also uncomfortable on this side of it because people are assuming that of for you. Sure. Like if you sit down at Thanksgiving dinner, people are like, "Oh, do you want? You know, can I can I give you some sweet potatoes? Like, what do you what do you want to eat? What can you eat?" It's like, well, I can eat anything. I just I'm I'm making some choices right now, and I I don't know. I I don't, I don't always want to talk about factory farming or like climate right. change over Thanksgiving, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, it's just in the way. Like this reducitarian thing, it's like, I, I don't know how they're going to build a movement around it, making it like low stakes and like easier to get along with. But I like the the basis of the idea. Yeah, I think so. When I first saw the article, I kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, reducitarian, seriously? Like, what are we doing? The name is a but- little... <laughs> Yeah, but I also think there's something to be said for giving it that label. Like, I don't know if if that's if giving it a label is going to get more people to want to participate in it. Like, I think that that's ultimately a good thing. And I just think without that, it's so black and white. Right. Because I saw like that for so long. Like, okay, I'm not a vegetarian. So what? I'm I'm pro global warming. (laughs) Like that's how it felt. Right. But I mean, I'm just somebody who eats meat, but is trying to be a little more conscientious of, of my decisions, my consumption decisions on how it impacts the world around me. Um, and you know, if people want a, a buzzy label to go with that, like, you know, it's not hurting anybody. Yeah, you're right. You're so right about it being black and white or not being black and white. I mean, I, I have not really talked about this in the show, but that was the moment for me where I started eating meat again after 10 years was we had been doing some coverage of this subject on the show. And I I had just been to this like small family farm that was raising pigs in Northern Colorado. I looked at these pigs in the eye and then I got home and I picked up a plant-based uh, hamburger patty from the global meat packing company, JBS's new plant-based protein company. And I was like, which of these two things is having a greater impact? Like the impact that I want to have. Exactly. Which of these two things? Like it's so nuanced to look at either of those things and think, you know, this is the right, this is clearly the right thing to eat. Right. Black or white. It's just, right. it's just not correct. It's very odd. Anyway, listeners, uh, Reducitarian, it's an okay name. I think you can do better. Give us a better name for this better movement. Name. Uh, call in. Um, also recommendations for, uh, vegetarian, vegan places, or just restaurants that serve great meat-free or less meat options around Denver. I think I think we're all curious now. That number is 720-500-5418. Again, better name than Reducitarians. <laughs> Call the better name for Reducitarian hotline at 720-500-5418. This one, oh my God, uh, delivery apps. Uh, our top story, I think, today is this 
challenge that our local restaurants are increasingly having with delivery apps and the amount of money that they're taking uh, from restaurants or from consumers or from who? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, but here's the real news. Uh, in an interview with Business Den, the chef and owner of one of our favorite downtown lunch spots, Little Finch, Mary Wynn, She's speaking out on delivery apps. Uh, she says these apps are making it, quote, really challenging to run her business because they're taking commissions of 19 up to 25% per order. Per order. 25% per order. Peyton, how do you feel about DoorDashes and the Grubhubs and Uber Eats after hearing this? I think my relationship with them had been changing um, already. But especially after reading this article, I feel like I'm, I'm thinking about them differently they were awesome during the pandemic. They were an absolute must. They, they you know, helped a lot of local restaurants survive. Um, they helped people support the dining scene without having to, like, expose themselves and, and go out, you know, during this really weird, weird time. Um, and it was critical. But now, I, I don't know, things have changed. The dynamic has changed around them. And I just like from our personal experiences with like Uber Eats and DoorDash, which we used to do a lot when we would meet in person, and we've actually stopped doing that quite a bit. And I think that part of that is because the experience, it, it can be so, I don't know, it's so, I, I don't like it. I'm done with it. It's like so expensive. It takes forever. Half the time, the order is wrong. And then the whole point I felt of this Business Den article with Mary Wynn was that she was like, we don't control that experience. So like people have that experience with DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub. And I mean, I, I think we're guilty of, of that, or at least me and Brie are, um, when we would DoorDash stuff and um, get really upset because our order was wrong or it took forever or it was like you end up paying $35 in fees. And then like that, I don't know, we're like, we're like inadvertently angry with the restaurant. And like, that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. The restaurant kind of bears it because mm -hmm. you're ordering from the restaurant. That's who yeah. you think you're doing the transaction yeah. with. But it's really just as much the apps. And Olivia, I want to hit you with some data here. See how you feel about it. Um, so this is a line from the Business Den article, um, an editor's note, one of the more interesting editor's note I've seen in a long time. Uh, I'm quoting here, on Tuesday, a Faro salad at Olive and Finch cost $16.50 on Uber Eats. Delivering that meal to a Lodo apartment cost $35.80, including the suggested tip. That's almost twice as much money for the delivery and the tip. What do you see in that, Olivia? I don't know. I mean, I struggle with this because obviously I see the harm it's having on these small businesses, but also I'm thinking about the people that are working as drivers and deliverers for all of these apps. And, you know, I think it's really important to think about the accessibility of these jobs because this is something people, if they need an extra source of income after their job, they can go do a couple deliveries and make a little bit of extra money. So I, I see the like large appeal for people looking for a side hustle to have an extra source of income. But at the same time, it's it's like upsetting that it's taking away from these small businesses who are doing, who are trying to do the same thing, just have a livelihood. But hmm. I wanted to point out the apps like this and just the new age of delivery in general. I feel like there's such a huge accessibility p component to it that makes a big difference for hmm. people. How so? I mean, just thinking about myself, um, 
you know, I'm neurodivergent. I sometimes I have good days, I have bad days. And some days on those days when I don't have enough energy, spoons, whatever you want to call it, left to cook, to make a meal, to even think about what to eat, frankly, it's really nice to have this app where all the options are listed so I can see what's there and then like click on a picture and be like, okay, I want that and just have it delivered to me because these apps are, they're such a great way to bridge that gap. And I don't know when I order, I don't order super often, but I do, I mean, I do think about the fact I'm like, obviously this is a lot more than it would be if I went and picked it up. But, you know, at the same time, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think like, I'm paying these delivery people for their time. Like, unfortunately, I'm paying this app to exist, which I don't know how I feel about that. Well, it's providing you a lot of value. You're getting it a lot is. of value from it the is. delivery, you're, from the access to the restaurants. It, it's helping you out. And same for the for the delivery people who are doing those jobs. Right. They're, they're getting something out of those jobs. Yeah. So it's a real issue. It's a, it's a public policy issue. And as Mary Wynn points out in this Business Den interview, the city of Denver has changed its policy on these delivery apps recently. Yes. Um, Peyton, you mentioned during the pandemic, the apps exploded. And at that time, according to Mary Wynn, they were charging as much as 35% commissions on deliveries. Um Now, that led the city, uh, like many other cities across the country, to impose a 15% cap, but that cap expired, and now we're back to this position where Mary Wynn is dealing with almost, you know, 25% commissions. So, what do you think about the impact on restaurants here, Peyton, the restaurant industry with these changing regulations and policies and... It's so tough. Like, I don't know. I I don't see a solution here. I mean, and I'm, I'm just a person with a microphone. Like I don't, I'm not in charge of making these decisions, but, and, and I think Mary kind of hints at this in her interview with Business Den, but like, I think that what needs to change is the relationship between the restaurant owners and the delivery app companies. Um, it just seems like there maybe needs to be some fine tuning that happens there because that's where I think the breakdown is happening. That's where uh, there's a negative experience. I love that idea. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think you're totally right. Babe. Like maybe if the apps gave the restaurants a little bit more opportunity to customize their page and present their brand. Like if that's something that Mary Wynn is, is feeling out of control about, maybe giving her some more control on the app would be a way of like – if you're an app saying like, Hey, maybe don't, don't criticize us in the press, you know, we're Mm -hmm. working together here. We're partners. (laughs) Um, so there's one other thing I wanted to talk about here. After I read this article, I realized there's a really important question here. They're just not pressing her on enough, at least for me. And that is if these apps are gouging you so bad, why not dump them? Why not get off the apps? Why not just not use them? If you're losing money on these transactions, Um, So I read up on this and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce actually wrote a post with advice to restaurateurs about how to best use delivery apps. And it totally unlocked this question for me. It said, the benefit of working with these third-party services is that your restaurant or cafe is exposed to the tens of millions of monthly users who rely on these apps for food delivery. Exposure. Mm. That's, that's, that's what the restaurant owners think. It's giving unpaid internship. (laughs) You think that's unpaid internship yeah, energy? I mean, the way they described it, yeah, it's like, oh, the exposure should be enough. Like, I shouldn't have to pay you for your services. Ah, yeah. I think it's, I um, like I think it's like competitiveness, right? And and they did kind of ask her. So, business then says, are you saying in a way it's not possible for Olive and Finch to not be on these services? 
And Mary says, I don't want to make a blanket statement, for, but for us, we've chosen to be on these platforms because we know that our guests order through that platform and we value those platforms. So, I mean, like, she kind of hedged around it, but I think that she feels, if I had to guess, like, she feels like she would be losing such a large swath of potential customers. And then you've got all of these other, like, restaurants who are compete that she's, you know, essentially competing with who are on these platforms, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's, for I would think it's, like, a competitive thing. Um, And when they asked her, like, well, why can't you just do your own delivery system? It's not cost effective for her to, to do something like that. So even though these apps are, like, gouging local business owners, it's still, I guess, better than, like, trying to do your own Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I think like 75% of restaurants are now on the apps. That was another thing in this article. Like it must be very, very difficult to not be on the apps. Yeah, it's just, it to me, it's, it's the idea that you're losing money by being on these apps, but you're getting repaid on the possibility that somebody could order on your app one time and then like it so much that they're going to come in in person. It's such a gamble to me. That like with these people's livelihoods. I, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's what the situation is. I think she is yeah. making a gamble. Every yeah. every yeah. choice she makes with this, she's making a gamble uh, about the future uh. of the business. Yeah. Stressful. No, it's, it's complicated. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, let's move on to another complicated subject that we talked about last week, actually, and proved to be so complicated that we heard from a lot of uh, listeners uh, with all sorts of different thoughts on it. Um, So we thought, let's go a little deeper here. Um, So if you didn't hear last Thursday's episode, this was the story about uh, the Silverthorne-based food stylist and Instagram celebrity Tegan Gerard, aka Half-Baked Harvest, um, who the New York Times reported, quote, has become an unwilling lightning rod for controversy entangled in issues that have galvanized the food world in the last decade, including cultural appropriation, intellectual property, body shaming, privilege, and racism. Um, Olivia, do you want to read us, read us our email? Yes, yes. So we got an email from Anna E. And Anna writes, Hi, CityCast team. I gasped when I heard you all kick off your discussion around half-baked harvest today on the podcast. I am actually a longtime half-baked harvest follower and have made many of her dishes. They've all been pretty good. 
One thing I thought was missing from the discussion on the show was a chef's perspective. There's a responsibility that the best chefs I've known seem to recognize. That responsibility is to make sure that they are being respectful of other cultures in their work. They do this by recognizing the origins and traditions of various dishes, doing their research, and so much more. We have a higher standard for being well-researched and thoughtful in our dishes. When I was a chef, I had a dish I wanted to make. I would go directly to the source as best I could to find out the origins. What ingredients are used in this traditionally and why? Is this a special occasion dish? And would it be maybe disrespectful or out of context on my menu? I think her greatest faux pas here actually comes from a lack of professional experience in understanding the art of cooking, not intended harm. However, she doesn't take the same responsibility for her impact, and it's very disappointing. And then she says, what is very frustrating about people like Half-Baked Harvest is that after 10 plus years of her work, she doesn't seem to grasp that what she's doing is harmful, nor does she express any desire to gain insight or technical knowledge. See the comment she made about defrosting a turkey or modifying recipes for altitude. Blissful ignorance? It's hard to tell. Thank you, Anna. That is excellent Thanks, feedback. Anna. I so agree. We were missing a chef's perspective. Thanks for giving it to us. Uh, Peyton, we've been talking about this issue all week since, since that episode aired. How are you feeling about it right now? We really have. Honestly, every time this has come up, whether, you know, what we were talking about it, when we were talking about it on mic, when we talked about it off mic, when I discussed it with my husband later that day, after we got some feedback from listeners, honestly, my mind is like racing. I think it's, it's, there's just a lot to talk about here. And I would say that that was the biggest problem with the New York Times piece is they kind of loaded it up really heavy. So they they talked about like these internet trolls who are, I, I personally, I think causing harm to Tegan Gerard. I mean, they're, they're talking about her body weight. They're talking about eating disorders. They're honestly just being horrible for being horrible sake. But then they also paired that with this cultural appropriation piece and lumped them together. And I don't think that that um, was the right thing to do because they kind of take away from each other. Hmm. And I think when we talked about it last week, Bree and I really kind of zeroed in on the way that these some people attack Tegan Gerard on the internet and that really got us fired up. Hmm. And it kind of had us look like really kind of just sweep the cultural appropriation thing under the rug. And um, so I do think that there needs to be more discussion around that. Um, and after hearing Anna's email or reading Anna's email, I think it really did change the way I was thinking about this. Oh. Um, How so? I think Anna makes a really good point about Tegan. She's not a chef. That's the thing, right? Like she does not identify as a chef. She, I, I don't think she ever has. She's an Instagrammer. I think the idea. I think. I think the idea you brought that the article having these two huge like facets of different terrible things that are happening t- really took away from each other. Like I, my thought on this is kind of that they threw in the parts about her like cyberbullying and all the stuff happening online. I feel like that either like unintentionally or intentionally softened the blow of the cultural appropriation here. Yes, totally. Um, And it kind of ended up switching the, like, victim card to her um, in a a very strategic way. So it's like, you can't really be mad at her about these things she's doing wrong because also look at all this Mm. bad stuff that happened to her. So like feel bad. But I want to say, I think that's that's such a uh, you you put it really nicely, Olivia. I couldn't 
find the words to do that. But I think that's a really good point. But I do want to talk about the cultural appropriation because I think it is really, really relevant. And Anna talks about that in her email. And I started to think about really what what made the light bulb turn on for me was like this idea of erasure. Mm. Like that with Tegan, because at first I was like, what harm is she doing by mispronouncing something or calling tacos with pineapples Hawaiian? Like, is that really such a big deal? But it is when you're erasing an important piece of somebody else's culture. And then we just go back to this whitewashing. We're just whitewashing this culture again in a whole new way. It's also taking the parts, you're picking and choosing the parts of someone else's culture that you think are Instagram worthy and Mm. just using them to your advantage on your platform and then forgetting about all the rest that goes into that culture, you know, whatever it is, the dish, the that you want, the ceremony, if you're like yeah. making a ceremonial dish, it's just taking the parts you think are viral and dumping the rest, which I think mm. is, could be really yeah. harmful. Really? I tried, I tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody else, like the person who's being appropriated. And I was like thinking as somebody who identifies as Latina, like how irrationally annoyed I get when like my in-laws who are white put black olives on their tacos and I'm like (laughs) black olives don't go on tacos do you know nothing (laughs) about (laughs) Latina culture Uh, I mean and it would make me mad like same thing with like my Chamorro culture like if somebody took a traditional Chamorro dish and only took bits and pieces of it and then tried to tout that as Chamorro I would be mad Um, so you know that's just a big thank you to Anna and everybody else who wrote in and called us on that. I really appreciate that. And it really taught me to look at something differently. Seriously, writing in is is a gift and we appreciate it. It makes us better. Really, really do appreciate it. Write in, call in anytime. All right, we got only a few minutes left. Let's get to some picks. Picks for the weekend. Uh, Let's do quick picks. Who's got a pick? Mine's easy. I'll tell you. Bring it the on, only Ping. place to be this weekend yes. is at the opening of the Chris Kindle Market. <gasps> All right. It's happening this weekend, Civic Center Park. I missed it last year. It's so much fun. I think when I went last, it was um, still happening on 16th Street Mall or over in that area. And it's a blast. Um, But they've since moved it to Civic Center Park. And I hear that's a really great place for it. Um, And then so the opening ceremony is happening on Friday and like I think like a half hour before they open the doors to the market, um, they're doing the mile high tree lighting right there in the park as well. Um, and then from now until like, I think Christmas or something, uh, or maybe it's longer than that. Sorry. I'm not sure, but it happens for a long time and it's free and it's open daily and it's the best. So that is the only place to be this weekend. Fantastic pick, Peyton. Fantastic. I do miss when it was on 16th Street Mall. I thought it was so fun that it was all like tightly compact in that little place. I don't know if it was Skyline Park or what, but that was like great downtown feelings at Christmas time. And having it more in Sifiscanter Park, it's more wide open, doesn't have quite the cozy factor for me, but I, I do still really like it. I wonder if the Krampus will be back this year. He has he to He made an appearance there. last year. That guy is very scary. Very scary guy. Um, Olivia, you got, you got a pick? Yeah. Um, this one goes out to the Lakewood girlies like me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's same, same type of vibe as Peyton's, but we're going Mm -hmm. to the downtown Lakewood holiday bazaar weekend one happening November 17th through 19th. So it's in Belmar. Um, there's gonna be 80 plus local makers, indoor shopping marketplace, free entry, live music, market bar and lounge, and an outdoor ice skating rink. Oh, cool. You had me at free entry. <laughs> Belmar's a great place. It's yeah, cute. It's very cute. Christmassy, too. That's, yeah. that's a good spot. Yeah. yeah, and I live right by there, so trying to do more Lakewood stuff. 
So nice. Love nice. it. Get out into the burbs. I like Hell that. Yeah. We have a lot of burb listeners who appreciate that. Yes. All right, Paul, what do you got? All right. All right. Uh, so uh, my pick is the new exhibition that just opened at History Colorado dedicated to the 10th Mountain Division. Um, if this is the first time you're hearing about that somehow, uh, the 10th Mountain Division was uh, a World War II era armed ski division of the United States Army that trained here in Colorado outside of Leadville at a place called Camp Hale and then went to fight uh, on mountains with skis and machine guns and stuff in Italy uh, and then came back and basically founded the ski industry. So it's- <laughs> What? And, Had you I not know, heard of this, It's Olivia? an incredible no. story. It's an yeah, incredible Yeah, it's really story. cool. We've talked about it a few times on the podcast since like the very beginning when Paul, we learned about it and then we were like, what? Oh my God. Wow. Okay, I know what I'm- searching yeah, after cool. this yeah so this this new exhibit i'm sure it's the perfect place to take your dad um and possibly leave him um you know and if you do you might end up spending a weekend in leadville before spring that's all i'm saying you know that could happen wow. that's a great choice paul it's really cool all right olivia peyton thanks so much for joining me thanks. yeah this was fun this was jam-packed That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the Reducitarians about us? Rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. This was never me, by the way. I never, I've never been obnoxious about eating no meat. Not one time. Just in case you were wondering. It hasn't happened a single time. Check my references.